Welcome back to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And today we have Christina Seeley and Rich Adi from the band Orphix. Hello. Hello. Hi. Awesome. Yeah, we are very excited to be talking with Orphix today as tomorrow, if you're listening to this the day it came out, October 1st, you will be able to pre-order the Fragmentation 4LP set that will be out on Hospital Productions. And it contains the Fragmentation album, the Bloodlust tape, the split, the material with the split with N. Nile, and some live stuff. Is that sum it up? I think that covers it. Nice, nice. And uh, if anyone heard our episode on Fragmentation from last year, you will know how much we love that album. So it is really cool to get a chance to talk to you guys. So thanks for doing this with us. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Heck yeah. Well, I guess we should just start from start from the beginning. I mean, what was going on with you guys in, in Dundas, uh, Ontario, correct? You got it, yep. yeah. Awesome. Wow. In so, 93? Yeah, 93 is the is the first tape. So what, where did it all start? Where, where, where did it... How did it lead to releasing a tape in 1993? You want to start? Yeah, I'll start. Um, well, Chris, Christy and I met in high school um, and around a, a love of music, among other things. And like we were both into like kind of darker synth pop and discovering industrial music and, and shoegaze. We were obsessed with my bloody valentine and slow dive sonic youth stuff like that Heck yeah. so, so we started we started a band in that kind of vein uh in the shoegaze kind of vein and uh at the same time we were starting to go to raves we were um yeah digging deeper into industrial and techno and um i guess we had a couple years doing the shoegaze thing yeah. yeah, but then simultaneously doing more experimental stuff as well. Yeah, like starting to fuck around with effects pedals and feedback loops. And so we were kind of like making textures that would be with the songs. And we'd have like moments, especially live, where it would be just kind of like a wall of noise for 10 minutes and that kind of thing. So it would kind of go from songs into into noise. And then I started kind of playing around with, uh, I guess, a couple of synths with my friend Aaron. So we were we were all friends, and uh, but he and I were kind of messing around one summer, I guess, the summer of '93. And then we started to come up with, you know, some ideas, and it felt like a a distinct thing. And he he was coming more from like uh, like extreme metal, like grindcore and death metal. Oh wow. And uh and, and kind of like the Japanese noise stuff like Mersbau, MSBR and and so we were both that's kind of where we connected musically. Um and then we 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 discovered like SPK and TG and uh, in particular SPK was like yeah, like so inspiring to us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh the clinic as well. Uh that was a big yeah. big deal for us. So all this music was kind of like you know, it was like each day you'd find like some new band and like tell your and tell the other person or like, you know, there's like sort of a, like a little group of us that would kind of trade music back and forth and and just continually getting excited about about new stuff. And, uh, and actually I was mentioning like before that we were also into the more like industrial popish stuff as well too, like the Nitzer Ebb and um, yeah. Front 2 for 2 and yeah. 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 All the, all the, all that kind of second wave stuff and, and skinny puppy was, was yeah, massive for, for all three of us. Yeah. Heck yeah. And, um, yeah, so we, we had these like kind of little sketches and then, then Christina was messing around with reel to reel tape machines. And so I think we had like recorded some location recordings in like some of these abandoned, there was a number of like abandoned industrial sites in the town where we grew up or where we were at the time. And so we were, we would recorded stuff in these spaces and then um, we thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool to like add these sounds to what th these little starting points that Aaron and I had. So I think that's how I got 
it got rolling and then it, it kind of went from there. Oh, and I had that Mirage, the Mirage sampler as well too, which came in from the other, the earlier recordings. Right. Yeah. We had this 8-bit sampler that we were, we were starting to learn how to use. Yeah. And that came together like quite quickly. So like that was sort of the end of the summer. And then by October we'd, we'd created a tape and, and put that out. Oh, that's so sick. So it sounds like it was just kind of a, you're really just kind of piecing together, not only, you know, the stuff you're listening to, but also the equipment and stuff. You would just kind of start, you'd get something and then all of a sudden that became a new thing and then just keep adding to it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Just like learning new stuff and like, oh, what does this do? Or I have some inkling and just mess around with it and just record what you're doing. Yeah. And I kind of remember um, we were just jamming with stuff in Aaron's basement a lot, just making random noises. And then sometimes they would turn out and then become something that we would use. So, yeah. So the first two tapes um, as Orphix with that, that was like, almost entirely improvised, especially the second tape was just kind of edited, edited together from hours of recording in Aaron's basement. Do you remember what you recorded into? Um, yeah, the, I think four track. And then in some cases just direct onto this, uh, this tape deck that would sound really nice if you over drove it. (laughs) So some of that stuff, I think it's just through this tape deck. And then later I remember putting that onto four track and fucking around with it and kind of, uh, yeah, the mix downs were always off of four track. Awesome. Yeah. That's killer. And yeah, this is, this is the Oh one and Oh two tapes that were collected on a great double disc on hospital. Yeah. I think Um, we listened to that maybe 10 times this week. Yeah. Just, just gearing up. It is good right now. Oh man. (laughs) Yeah. It, and and it truly is a thing where I, every track, I mean, I, I can't tell what's going on. I mean, to me, and that's some of the best noise where it's just, it does feel it's, 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 it's so hard to tell exactly what you guys are doing on any given track. Yeah, the mm-hmm. textures, the textures are so great uh, that that really you just kind of get lost in it. Yeah. So and now we were, we've been referencing Aaron, this being Aaron West, who was a third member of Orphix um, during this time, um, mm-hmm. and you, and you said he kind he kind of brought the the Japanese noise stuff to you guys and was was showing you guys that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was. I think like we. we I'm not sure the chronology of how it went, of course. But, but, but yeah, we were just all into that stuff at that moment. Um, yeah. And like a shared love of kind of like the, the early industrial stuff. And, um, but his, his angle was more from metal. Cause that was like kind of foreign to Christy and I. So he'd be right. bringing in stuff. He, you know, he'd, he'd like, Hey, listen to this and be like, you know, carcass or, yeah. or, or earth or, uh, what else was he into? I can't remember. So intense drop. Oh, Napalm Death. Napalm Death's huge yeah. for him. Yeah. So he was he was kind of coming with that that angle and he'd be like, Okay, how do you you know, can you make like grindcore beats somehow? So we'd be trying to use like these, you know, these handful of synths and like this sequence we had in his computer <laughs> to like try and do grindcore, but you know, that didn't so, that didn't really work out. Yeah, so some of it <laughs> some of the sound came from failed attempts at making grindcore. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> Even if better. You, if you listen closely, you can, there's a couple of you can hear a couple of pieces like that where it's like you you can you can hear that influence. And also <laughs> in the the vocals too, like every once in, well for live shows, Aaron would blast out some kind of crazy grindcore type. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Oh really? Sort of, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Sort of like uh, or like more like uh, what's the the dude from. Hannah Tarash, like that kind of just I, yes. un, unhinged, you know, jabbering yeah. through distortion. Like some of it was amazing, actually. Where, where were these raves in the 90s in Ontario? Were they all like warehouses? Were they outdoors? Yeah, warehouse. Yeah, it was, it was, it was more like a warehouse party scene. So, you know, you'd get a flyer, you'd call the number, go and get on a bus. They'd drive you out somewhere. But, but that was very distinct from the kind of circles we were playing in. Cause I, we were, we were playing more like, like noise shows and kind of like goth industrial kind of scene. Yeah. And 
and the, and so the the town that you guys are in at this time is is Dundas is the name of the town and is how it's pronounced as you told me. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, it's a suburb of Hamilton, which is like I think about half million uh, right now. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. we've been to Hamilton. We've had a great time in Hamilton. So cool. and and. <laughs> But but I but it is so curious to me now. What's one of the great things about the the O one O two double disc has got some old flyers in there. And now, were you guys setting up these shows? Was it were you guys heading everything up with someone else setting up these shows in Dundas, or was it you? Well, early on, um, I'm trying to think when. I feel like it was high school still. Are you talking yeah, about it was, like, it was like the end of high school, but but like when we met Sublimatus, I think that was like I also ninety three. There was like we saw these flyers around town for these experimental music nights, so we went to check this out. And this is like in you know this is a town of like probably twenty thousand people at the time, so any music night of any anything is you know was unheard of so we're like what 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 is this so we went and found this little gallery and these strange people doing these small experimental music nights like almost like uh kind of like free jazz but also like there would be synths and really odd stuff you know just like playing for hours to an audience of like 10 people or something right and you know, and, then, and the three three of us included, so right. very small shows. <laughs> but we were totally like intrigued by this, and and then they were just like, oh, you know, if you have instruments, come down next time, and we'll play together. So we just started playing with them, like you know, just be an afternoon jam, and then and then some of these shows that we started doing together. So we would make the posters with them, or we would take turns making the posters. Um, and yeah, and it just it grew, never more than like fifty people, but. Um, there was maybe like 10 of these shows over 93, 94. Um, and we played, yeah, a number of those. Yeah. They were, um, they were great because they were super open-minded people and just, they really opened us up to, we were doing some improv already, but they really opened that up to us as well and made that seem like legitimate. I mean, we were playing more in traditional band type format before that with the shoegaze stuff. And so finding these people doing this crazy stuff and being really, um, uh, like up, upfront about what they're doing and really positive about all the crazy stuff that they were um, putting forward. Then we were, um, we just found that amazing and inspiring. And so, yeah, it was a big thing. They were basically like dedicated to, making music and art, like visual art too. Um, so they were sort of like role models in a way, right? Like we were like, oh, you could live like this and do this as like the focus of your life or whatever. So that was like, a, you know, a direct ex- you know, direct experience that sort of inspired us, I think. I just remembered at the same time, I think we were also doing shows in Hamilton that some of those flyers would have been for as well. Um, like that, the larger city that Rich mentioned. Mm-hmm. And um we had connected also with um, some other friends doing more techno. I'm talking about Testy, um, Dave, and Hermandri. Um Yeah, so this would this would be another inspiration that kind of manifested a few years later when we started incorporating more elements of techno, mm-hmm. and that was um, our friend David Foster. Who, um, he had the project Testy with a another friend Hamadri. I think actually lies. I think just did a did a new record. I think it might. I think it's a new yeah, record. That's a, that's or, a new yeah. album. That's new material. Yeah. 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 Um, but he was they or they were releasing on Plus Eight, which is um, you know Hot Richie Hotton's label. Yep. On uh, the sub label Probe and doing um, pretty strange uh, stuff with, with a techno format. So you have the techno pulse, but then sonically, um, you know, closer to the kind of space we were working in. So then you know, starting to go to raves and, and hear this kind of, this brand of techno that was much more psychedelic and, and weird, crazy stuff on stage too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Almost like performance art uh, in the shows with like costumes and really, really strange. So that kind of blurred over with the kind of scene we were in as well. Um, and that, yeah, it started, started to lead us towards techno, like, or thinking about techno as something that we were interested in, in making, you know, because we're sort of finding our way through that and finding the, the, the types 
of techno that that was actually interesting to us. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it just sounds like you guys just you just absorbed so much and blended yeah. it, and 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 also it seems like there was never even a like it would just it, it felt natural just to just blend all this stuff like it wasn't <laughs> yeah. like you didn't have to pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think yeah. is, is such a yeah. cool way of doing it. Yeah, it just felt kind of like being immersed in music and like. I think all three of us were always just kind of discovering new stuff in all these different genres and, you know, it just kind of blurred together. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, we were also big into experimental music too, like more, um, like, uh, drone stuff like Zoviet France and Hafler trio and even Steve Reich, I think. Um, so more like, art experimental type stuff as well so that kind of blurred into yeah how did you guys uh, start spreading the orphic sound and getting more contacts outside of the uh, like ontario experimental community how did that come about um i, d- I don't know exactly about but yeah i mean we we created the label um sometime in 94 and that I think like we were talking about this idea with, with the people in Sublimatus, this, this improv group. And I think the name kind of came out of some long discussion, you know, coming up with funny names. Um, Excretaria being the name. Yeah. So, but, but Aaron and I kind of took this over as, as like our thing and like, and started kind of putting tapes under this, under this banner and he had this project tropism that he started that year with another friend that was more uh, focused on no- on noise and you know kind of like uh, influence of like boredoms, so kind of like mm-hmm. comical, absurd, and and whereas Orphix tended to be like no humor, you know, <laughs> like pu- <laughs> purely dark and intense, and and right. he and and he quickly was like, oh, I, you know he obviously needed an outlet to do something kind of more absurdist. And so that was, that was tropism. And then he and I had this thing deconstruct that was more like pure noise. Christy and I started a thing called anti-form that was more drone based, like the Soviet France bit, bits of the shoegaze influence in there too. So there was all these kind of projects that were kind of like cropping up and then other local projects. And so that all kind of coalesced under this excretaria name with uh, tape releases and, and distribution. So I started distributing like a few other artists um, from the area and then some other North American artists. Um, uh, Prevere and the explorations one yeah, outside of Ontario. Uh, yeah, so um, there was a label Body and Blood based in Toronto and they did um, this compilation Exploration One so that we, we were on there with like um, Deutsch Nepal, genocide organ, like there you go. And I don't, I don't know exactly. Do you remember how we met him? I I think he might have come out to one of the the weird sublimatist nights by accident, or something in Toronto. Like we were we were yeah. starting to play in Toronto, so we might have met him there, or he might have written to us. I don't know, but somehow we connected with him. So like sometime in '94, and. Uh, He's, he started just sort of sending stuff our way. Like he was just like a source of, of new music, which is what Prevere tends to do, right? Like yep. he, if he knows you like something, something will just show up for you like awesome. in the mail. And uh, so he started just giving us stuff um, and buying up our tapes. And that kind of like, I think, uh, made us realize like how many different labels and distributors were out there. So we connected with like... Uh, uh, Obes label, gross, gross tapes, awesome. uh, anomalous, RRR. Uh, who else? I don't know. Like uh, self abuse, probably. Yep, yep. Self abuse. Uh, Death Squad. I remember corresponding with oh. him early on. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. So this whole network of like tape labels. This is like ninety five, ninety four, ninety five. And you would say that the Exploration One comp did that you could see kind of an, an, an effect from it that it did get you out there a little more. I think that's what led us to connecting to malignant. Cause, uh, oh, cool. he heard, yeah, he heard that comp and then sometime in 95 got in touch and, and said he wanted to put out the next, the next thing. The next thing being the fragmentation CD. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and then we did have the show in New York that Prevere organized as well. Right. Yeah. So in 96, um, I, I guess also through Exploration One, we connected with Mark Solitroff oh, awesome. uh, of Bloody Minded and uh, Bloodlust. And he said he wanted to put something out. So I guess around the same time, we had these offers from from both of them. So we, we ended up doing a tape for Mark um, and then some of that material was developed into the fragmentation album. In, oh, okay. So it was kind yeah. of made around the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So the B side of the bloodlust tape is, I believe is, is really long versions of a couple of tracks from the album. Oh, that's right. I think it's got that long, the, what is it? Tahin. How do you pronounce Tahina? Tanha? The, that one. Tanha. Tanha. Ta- yeah. 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 <laughs> oh man, that, yeah. that track. Oh, it's so <laughs> sick. Um, yeah, obsession in progress. The the uh, the bloodlust tape, mm-hmm. uh, such a great one. But then you guys did a show with Bloody Minded, correct? Yeah, this think, is the New York show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think shortly after the tape came out, we he invited us down there to play with with Bloody Minded and Assets S S H E Retina Stimulants. Oh right, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh yeah. wow, what a and what we, a cool we, show. Actually, that was another big thing for us. Um, was Sigilla Mass. At least for me, I don't. Yeah, feel yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I mean, yeah, there'd be just be certain records or certain tracks of theirs that I think were were a big influence, and they had also this like really improvised, surreal quality to them that I think all three of us really liked. Yeah, I think um, getting to play that that show though was really um, a great turning point for us as well too, being outside of Ontario for one, and then meeting all of these people that were inspiring and opened us up to new stuff. But yeah, just that, that getting to play in New York was just an amazing experience. Um, even if it was what alphabet city. <laughs> well that, yeah, I think that was one of the inspiring things. It was the pyramid, like the, right. like the, the legendary pyramid club in, uh, wow. in New York. And it was on in alphabet city, which at that time, this is 96. So it was still fairly rough. Um, so that yeah, that whole experience of going down there and playing this club and and meeting these people was pretty, was, was pretty eye-opening, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, you see a lot of the old Bloodlust flyers and a lot of the shows were at Pyramid. I I had never been uh great. I mean, that's probably you did you have you were you ever at any of those shows? No, no, no. no. We're a little bit before our time. Um My first trip yeah, to New York was for that uh Octung America festival on the frying pan. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, so was that, and that was the app first show completely, not only out of the country, but out of really out of the Ontario. Yeah. Prior to that, we just played in Hamilton, Toronto area. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Wow. And, and so were these shows now, were you doing, were they, Im, were they improv like your sets? Did you have, did you have ideas about where everything was going to go? Like how were these early shows what was kind of the format for you guys for some of these early shows? I think like the really early ones, more like 93, 94 would have been purely improvised. Um, but by 96, like doing this one in New York, we probably would have had a rough structure. I know for sure there was like elements of the fragmentation material there, you know, maybe just like a drum loop or, you know, stuff, yeah. I think was kind of, key like we had certain points where we're going to do certain loops and yeah Yeah, it'd be kind of like strung together with drum loops um you know loops from the sampler from christie's reel to reel like the reel to reel tape machines would be a big part of the show so we would have like a very rough structure and we'd improvise around that and 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 by this time by by i think about halfway through 95 it was just christie and i because aaron had kind of left to focus on tropism and we were just weren't we weren't gelling aesthetically at that point. Like he, he would always, he, he would enjoy kind of like, um, disrupting things, let's say. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. So if he knew that, like, say in the middle of a set, I don't know, like a, a wild piano solo would be, uh, would piss us off, then he might he might throw that in there. <laughs> you kind of had the mischievous the mischievous totally. element, which yeah. it would make sense. You were kind of saying like Hanada Rash and Boredoms. I mean, it kind of yeah. makes sense that he would have that in it's his the wild card. Yeah, the wild card. Yeah, yeah. 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 We, we 
we do love him for that too of course, of course. yeah it's totally <laughs> that's totally him his approach to life is sort of like what if i do this and then see what happens <laughs> yeah uh, but but so then Malignant ends up. You kind of get in contact with Malignant, and and they end up doing the fragmentation CD. So you said that kind of came through Exploration One. Yeah, and we did. Uh, there's a comp that he did called Signs of Infection. I think it's ninety five, ninety six, somewhere in there. So we had a version of Sepsis on there, and then then we developed the album uh, over that year, over ninety six. Well, so like on tracks like Sepsis and, and like Tanha and like Samsara, did you come up with a concept before you recorded the track or is it something that, I don't know, how, how did that emerge? Some, I feel there was an outline. Like I've, I can remember like notes for Sepsis, like mm-hmm. this will happen here, this will happen here, this kind of thing. Um, but others were were improvised. Um, I think- we maybe had like a like a sample um, or a loop or something that was a starting point, and then we would improvise around that. Oh, like that's a really cool loop. Let's make yeah. something with that. So yeah, that's right. Because there, there would be pieces of stuff that we'd be using in the shows, um, and then then we would take those pieces and like, okay, how can we flesh this out into a into a proper track? Yeah. And what about the titles in relation to the tracks? I know Tara got really into a lot of the references. I, I on just that like album. how, like how well, and many albums, like because you guys will use a very literal or concrete um, title, but then also you can go extremely metaphysical. And so I, I guess I just like the way you kind of interplay with like internal and external spaces. So I was just curious about how you develop your titles because I love them so much. Yeah, we know we really we really appreciate that that review you did of the record and and oh. kind of going on that <laughs> level. Um, yeah, I get really into the into the titles, <laughs> yeah. uh, like thinking about the right thing um, for a given track. So were um, you? Did, was that you? Were the titles? Or was it was it the three of you guys? Or uh, fragmentation is the three of you guys, right? Aaron is still on some of that stuff, or no? N- not really. He's okay. Uh, okay. He, there's one track that that EEG measurements one that he he had created a lot of the kind of the atmospherics that are going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that track was kind of almost like a leftover from the early tapes. Mm. Got it. Um, that we added a few things to. I think he did stuff on his computer actually for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Computer uh, experiments. Yeah, we're not, we're not entirely sure what he did there, but we we know he we know he did it, um, right? <laughs> so he's he's credited for that one, but otherwise, that this record is just Christina. Got it. Got it. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. And so you guys work to you, you guys kind of work together on the titles. Uh, um, that's mostly Rich. I have to say for the titling, I don't really connect with words very well and he's really great at doing that so we talk about the concepts and stuff but he comes up with the great titles (laughs) good job (laughs) well christina you're a visual artist as as well correct so you think visually yeah i just i i never connect with words very well so (laughs) connect with images very well yeah images not not the not the words yeah (laughs) Well, her paintings are beautiful. Everybody look up Christina Seeley's art. Uh, it's, it's worth a look. Heck yeah. Um, now one, you know, and especially the flyer that's included in the in the uh, double CD, one show that, of course, we need to ask memories about would be the condom uh. Menon. Oh, actually, you say her name, please, Tara. Don't make me say her name. Manon Angeli. There you go. Uh, I, yeah, yeah, please. I cannot. It's no yes. good. Me and Gray saying it, it's, it comes out just, it's a nightmare. <laughs> nope. Uh, but what a, what a legendary tour. Yes. Obviously, you know, two legendary uh, people playing. You know, how did that show come about? Any memories from that show uh, that, uh, that you have? That was a Prevere Bejel event. So he, he put that together and asked us to open up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thanks so a body and blood show while the label still existed. <laughs> I, uh, I do remember um, the men and Julie being very, <laughs> very influential. I, I, her performance art aspect was um, was amazing, and then the use of the contact mics. Um, mm-hmm. I found that really interesting. Um, 
So yeah, that was a really inspiring show. Um, I think we liked the intensity of the condom performance, but then we also realized at that point that people in this scene could do something just with performance rather than um, like he just did his vocals and all the music was on a Walkman. Yeah, I think we were also like, wow, he's not actually playing anything. It's just like doing his... It's just the performance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. performance. And that was that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and you can just... it it. You can you anything's at your disposal once you're once you kind of realize you can either play tons of gear or you can have a tape player and mm-hmm. it can yeah. all it can all exist yeah uh, in in that world uh, and yeah that must have just been so cool to see. I've, yeah, it, was a, it was a good show. I've actually seen video of this show. You guys had some uh, visuals going behind you too. Is that something that you guys put together or? Yeah, we we from from the very beginning, I think um, maybe not the very first couple of shows, but um, from very early on, we we wanted to have a visual element because we weren't very performative. Um, tend to just kind of like hide behind the gear. Once in a while, I might do vocals, but pretty tentatively um, at that time. So, uh, I, no, I guess I would freak. I would freak out once in a while, wouldn't I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had different like acoustic instruments that we were using too um, during the shows. So, but but we felt like we needed a visual element. We wanted to have that. So um, we had uh, sixty millimeter projectors that I'd managed to get from uh, a library that was was getting rid of them. I kind of heard, wow. I think my mom knew someone at the library and was like, Hey, what, you know, are you interested in this? Cause they're getting rid of these projectors and all these films. So I said, yes, I would love to have that. And we ended up um, using these films uh, for the shows and like having multiple proje- projectors kind of overlapping on the stage. Uh, then we got slide projectors. We had strobes. So there'd be some combination of these things for each show. Yeah, I think that the the 16 mil film stuff was also an influence from our early um, uh, shows with Sublimatus because that the art group in Dundas, because they had a, a whole lot of visual stuff that they did as well and a lot of experiments that way. And so I think we were really quite highly inspired by them for that, too. So um, I can remember making um, loops like the like the reel to reel loops, but loops with the 16 mil film, yeah. um, which I found really fun cause it was tactile and yeah, a lot of the, I guess all of our visuals then were very tactile. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a fun part of putting those performances together too. Yeah. I think like the idea of like kind of creating uh, almost like a surreal space, like this kind of, surreal experience of of the visuals some of which were, were you know pretty uh intense pretty intense and uh, and pretty hard to look at so the, again the spk influence yeah. you know a lot of kind of you know you know cut up bodies you know but but overlaid with like kind of more psychedelic visuals so this kind of weird surreal kind of visual definitely trying to create a disturbing atmosphere and uh or, and a and a dreamlike kind of atmosphere. Yeah, overall, really intense. Yeah, dreamlike experience. Yeah, surrealism. I think was a big yeah part of that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, all th- I guess all through these 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 early shows, that was a that was a major part of of every performance. Did you bring them down to New York when you guys did that? That I'm not so sure about. I feel like maybe that was just strobes because we couldn't transport all that shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got to be too much at a certain point. <laughs> yeah. Did you start doing any other shows in the states around that time after the New York show? No, I don't. I can't recall um, any other shows. I think we next went down to New York like five or six years later. Uh, five five years later, I guess two thousand and one. We were we were back at the pyramid, but. So when you guys were doing these shows, you know, around then, and I, I can see uh, behind you uh, like a hands poster, the label, uh, did you feel much kinship or how, like the, the sort of then called power noise? I, I don't know if that term is really in use these days, but that sort of scene of like Vinterkalte and Converter and Akamasats and Synapscape and Imminent Starvation, was that something you felt a part of 
because it seems like you guys have been doing this stuff kind of before that really came to to be a yeah. A I mean, w- w- when when the fragmentation thing was coming together, like nineteen ninety six, I don't think we even knew about those bands. I mean, they would have been just kind of emerging at that point, right? Um, but I don't recall even being aware of that scene. I think after the album came out, then hands like got in touch with us. What did you think of your first time in Europe? Oh, that was amazing. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. that, so yeah, cause we kind of connected with hands after fragmentation came out. And at that point, then, um, we're kind of actively moving or bringing in elements of techno that that's not really present before then. Right. There's sort of hints of it, I guess, maybe Tanha has a steady four to the floor thing going on, but, um, yeah, the next year, then that techno influence started coming in. And then we were discovering the, the scene that Gray just mentioned in Europe, which was, you know, kind of combining a harsh power electronics approach with, rhythmic elements of techno and drum and bass and, and uh, yeah, like kind of the influence from Aphex and Autechre and all that. So um, th- yeah, I was getting, we were getting more excited about this kind of like weird combination of noise and, and, and dance beats. And so then we started working with hands with this kind of new direction. How long was that, that first European tour? Uh, it was just three dates, but we, we managed to play with Pansonic, which was a, becoming a big influence. Um, we played a festival in Sweden with them and like a whole host of people, Muslim gauze and Lydia lunch and oh, she, no way. You heard of Muslim gauze. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we were at the same festival. We didn't manage to catch them, but, or catch, oh. catch him. But, um, just the, you know, the poster filled with these names. We were like, Holy oh. shit. What's, what's happening right now? Yeah. You know, but, wow. Uh, and then a couple of other dates that were more in the, the rhythmic noise scene. Yeah, that is that's sick. And so did you? Yeah, my go. Yeah, did you? Did you guys ever do any Western Canada shows? Because I actually have. I've driven from Winnipeg to Vancouver. Oh wow! And it is wow. It is wild and empty and hard to explain to anyone who hasn't done it. Now, have you guys ever done anything like that? Always want to. Never have. Um, we did do the show in um, Calgary, I guess. Oh yeah, we we played in Calgary like a two years ago, three years ago. So, but but that was the right. first time we've been out west. Well, I guess we played Vancouver in, in the right. last five five years, but but yeah. not back then, no, and not and, that, and not do, not doing like a series of dates across the country, no. Ooh. What have you ever done that? Even just as like as kids or any any trips or anything like that? No, no, always want to though. Yeah, sounds wild. It is. It, I, I, I've 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 always said that anytime I try to explain it to anybody who hasn't done it, I can just tell that they're not fully comprehending what I'm getting, <laughs> what I'm saying. When I'm like, no, it is. There's nothing. F- there is yeah. nothing. <laughs> like like between Winnipeg and Saskatoon and Saskatoon and I mean I can't even. I can't begin to fully comprehend to get to get someone to fully comprehend it. Uh, yeah, I really, I'm going to do that trip at some point, but, uh, but I mean, I definitely. <laughs> I think yeah. I my, mean I think it'd be great. My favorite description was the rest area, which was a trailer with two toilets back to back, with no nice. divider. Else. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> just just a room with two toilets back to back. Yeah, yeah, nothing yeah. else. <laughs> nothing else for thousands of yes. kilometers. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. For great friends. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or making friends, I guess. Yeah. 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 New, new friends. Yeah. Yeah. Just make a new friend doing that. Exactly. Depending on how long you're in there. Exactly. <laughs> now, did you guys, I mean, did you guys want to tour and was the. Or was it just not, was, was it just not something that you really were insanely interested in at that time? Uh. No, we definitely wanted to play more shows, but we we didn't we didn't have those connections. Like there was the this New York connection through Mark Solotroff, um, and then just sporadic shows around Toronto and Hamilton. But beyond that, we didn't really know where to go until we connected with Hands and realized that we could potentially play in Europe. Um, so then we start pursuing that. So then from 98 onwards, like pretty much every year we would go and play 
at least one show in Europe, usually like, uh, you know, a handful. But, um, yeah, that we, we just didn't really know where to play in North America. Like, yeah. Right. Right. Well, did you enjoy playing shows from the get go and, and do you still like it? Oh yeah, definitely. I think that was the highlight, you know, make, we really loved making the music, but the performance mm-hmm. part, that's, that's everything. That's, um, I don't know. I think that sharing the music and being in a space with people who are experiencing your music in real time, like that's, you can't do anything else like that. I, I don't know. Rich? Do you- no, I, th- I feel the same way. And I think especially when we start to play in Europe and, and find more of an audience, like a larger audience and, and, and meet people and meet other artists. And it, I, we, I think you just, we kind of got addicted to it. Like it's just the, just the fun of just talking to people after a show and talking about music and, and, and other ideas, you know, aside from music. Um, and even those small first things in Dundas with like, you know, five to 10 people in the room, like you're in a room experiencing music and sound and the whole like experience of the performance together. And there's something about having that, that feeling together and everyone's kind of um joint experience together that makes it special i don't know um how to explain that but yeah and 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 those shows would kind of bring out interesting people right there wouldn't be many people coming out but they would all be pretty interesting and so uh you got to meet other unusual people and and connect with them that's the way with all of the shows that we do that's yeah yeah Yeah, Yeah. that's the highlight is just meeting other freaks yeah 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 Yeah, just interesting people having great conversations and yeah it's everything about performances yeah yeah awesome have you when was the last time you guys played in dundas (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and should we figure out setting up a show in dundas uh, in in 2028 whenever we're allowed to do shows again yeah it's i mean Probably not since the mid nineties. Yeah, there was, yeah, there's just, I mean, there's really no venues here. Right. So there was just this, this kind of converted little factory that these, these guys were living in that we would do these improv shows. Uh, We once did a a show inside one of the local factories. I think that's actually on that, that hospital release. Oh, There's a live, there's a live excerpt that's like in this old factory that, that we would record sounds in. Um, but that was it. There's really nowhere else to play here. So yeah, I don't think we've done any. No. I mean, and even you, ha- in Hamilton once in a while, we will, we will play like there's, there's a, a couple of venues here, but that's, but that's been a few, few years too. Are you still in contact with the sublimatus people or is just kind I, of throughout saw, the years? I saw one guy away. on a bike. Yes. Like a couple of days ago driving <laughs> by, but uh, yeah, there's, there's uh there's a one friend that we, we keep in touch with who's sort of like the core core character. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Zena Haggerty. Yeah. And uh, it was also cool for me, you know, meeting this other woman who was doing crazy stuff and she's still doing all sorts of experimental. She's still just experimenting and making new music and doing podcasts. And yeah, she's really, um, she's still just doing her thing and making art. And yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Oh, that's sick! And she was part of the label, correct? Or uh, did no. I read? I, th- I think I read. I thought I read that she had something to do with the label. Uh, I think just the the kind of idea of creating a label came out of these discussions with them. But it oh, okay. was it was it was it was um, myself and Aaron and, and Christy that were kind of that kind of took it over and were, were creating these tapes. Gotcha. And what were the additions of the tapes you guys were doing? Oh, very small. Like I think the the first two Orphix tapes are like a hundred each that we did. Um, Special tapes. Oh, don't get into that. <laughs> I'm like a hundred. <laughs> that's big. <laughs> I I guess for then it, it seemed small at the time, but uh, or as as much as we could handle anyway. Because I would like literally just dub them at home, like right, like, right, yeah. Um, or like as Aaron and I would take turns or whatever, but uh. 
I I feel like some of the other tapes may, may be like as much as low as ten copies. Like, yeah. I mean, I've personally never seen one in person. Have you, Gray? No. Yeah, they <laughs> seem no. incredibly it's hard rare. to find. Yeah. 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 They seem incredibly, incredibly rare. Do you, do you guys still have a copy of every one? Yep. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> there's one with Richard Ramirez on it. Yeah, there's a compilation. There was a, a friend of mine, Mike, he had a radio program here, and he was one of these guys that I would just we would constantly be trading music with. And he did a label called Puncture, and so we co-released a couple of uh, noise compilations that that he basically curated. That's awesome. Yeah, so yeah. Mike was kind of key in getting our music out there too because he played it on the local college radio station. Yeah, yeah, he's Mike McAvell. He was another guy who kind of like um we kind of like made connections with and uh kind of kind of helped create a little bit of a scene here. And he he did a radio show? Yeah, he did a radio show like at the local university, so um he he would be Playing, you know, everything from Skinny Puppy through to Mersbau and 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 kind of more synth pop stuff and just all over the map. Yeah, I mean, radio shows, especially back then, I think were so important, and especially these local mm-hmm. college, you know, more in, you know these independent radio shows. You hear about these, especially in the eighties and the early nineties. I mean, because that was how you could find out about new music. That was you know, huge. That was absolutely huge for us. The 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 college radio here in Hamilton and also in Toronto would just always be finding new music through that. Um, we also had, there was a TV station in Toronto that had a Friday night video program, like maybe a couple hours every Friday night, like at midnight or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that would just be filled with, with uh, you know, what, what was then called alternative, but that would be everything like from the Pixies to like Meet Be Manifesto, Front 242, um, the birthday party, like everything would just be coming up on there. So every Friday you tune in and just discover like 20 new bands. And uh, that, that was massive as well. No, I mean, it, it was the best, you know, just and the and the mystery was still kind of there where especially, you know, you what how, you know, like, who are these people? How, you know, it, yeah. was, it was. Yeah, I remember keeping a uh, pencil and paper next to the radio. Yeah. Just, yeah, just in yeah, case exactly. you had to write something down really yeah, fast, yeah. you know. <laughs> and then you've just got a name and like, maybe you're going to find this. Maybe yes, not. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, it was. When you're flipping through the stacks randomly, just ah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, were there were there good record stores in Hamilton, uh, or or did you have to go to Toronto? Uh, in your ear, yeah, there was there was decent decent ones, but I mean for the for the more obscure stuff, that's you know really why we connect with Anomalous and RRR and Self Abuse because then okay, well now I can find this shit. Tesco, um, right? Oh yeah. Nui Brouillard, like all these dis- little distributors of of kind of more fringe stuff that uh, you know be kind of scouring through to find the records. I do you remember driving to Buffalo to get music a few times as well? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, know, you just find just you hear about a record store somewhere, and okay, let's go see what they have. And yeah, Man. maybe oh, there's yeah. five. Maybe there's two or three records that that you're after. The inclusion of more techno stuff, it seems like it really was a natural build to get to that point. Would you say that that's true? Yeah, like we were always listening to it throughout this whole period. Um, And like I said before, kind of like discovering the stuff that we actually felt some connection to. Um, And then it took a while to kind of filter into the music. Um, Yeah, so by the time the album on hands came out, which I guess is 98, then you can start to hear the the influence. And, and so the live stuff that's coming out on this, on this four LP set, you said some that comes from the factory shows. What, what, what is some of the other, um, sort where, where did some of the other live uh, material? Oh, this come one, from? Yeah. That, that factory one was from the, the O one Oh two. Um, oh, CD oh, on, it's on the, on hospi- oh, gotcha. Gotcha. And uh, this, this I'm trying to recall. Well, some of it is from the, the condom, uh, and Gillet 
Yeah, yeah, Joe? yeah, yeah. Okay. We That's can say it, we can all say it wrong. <laughs> Approximations of yeah, everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. There's some there's stuff from that show. There's stuff from I think the music gallery in Toronto, which was a pretty uh, prominent kind of experimental new music kind of venue. Um, trying to remember what else is on there. Yeah, the music gallery. Music gallery. Yeah, just stuff from around Hamilton, Toronto. Yeah, from that from ninety six, ninety five. Oh, wow. okay. we didn't mention the Necropolis Nights. <laughs> uh, it was called X Club. Yeah, there's actually now now that I think about it, there is there is something from the X Club because we did like a like a record release for Fragmentation at this this venue. Oh, cool. Um, this is the place yeah. in Hamilton. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I think I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a pretty big deal for a while in the nineties because there was. Uh, there was all sorts of shows there, and then there was a regular kind of goth industrial night, like a, I think a monthly night um, that ran for a couple of years. And they would they had all sorts of people play there, like Download played there, and um, Dead Voices on Air, and Rapoon, and I think yeah, I saw of... Neural and Weird Vision. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they had they had a lot of good stuff. It was great. Cool. But and that was called Necropolis. Yeah, that was Necropolis. Necropolis. Yeah. The, the night was Necropolis. Yeah. The night was Necropolis. Yeah. Oh, cool. So you mentioned a lot of the sort of noise stuff you were listening to, but I'm I'm also curious about the the techno aspects. What was some of the more influential stuff in the from the techno leaning realm that you guys were listening to back then? Well, we mentioned Testy, um, our friends. Um, and I guess what else from that era? I mean, around the time of fragmentation, it's like we're going to parties. Apex Twin, Autecker, like we're listening to this stuff, but I don't, I don't remember that we were like really passionately following it. Like it was more underground resistance. Oh, underground resistance. Yeah, this this stuff was kind of there, but I I feel like the obsession with music was more around the kind of dark ambient power electronics kind of stuff like hunting for those records and, and, and techno we're we're going to the parties and and starting to learn what's what but yeah i do remember that underground resistance cd though that was like that was a big thing we heard that oh yeah and transmat so some of the detroit stuff yeah. we were we were hearing um and and really liking um the pro blabo i mentioned so that was releasing testy and some other kind of uh Kind of, kind of more experimental techno. Um, I think Sacco was the one that really made a big impact around '96. Yeah. Um, hearing that stuff, like more stripped down, really cold, uh, hypnotic, noise focused. Yeah, yeah, noise focused, like a, a rhythm and noise um, in a much more restrained way than the, the rhythmic noise scene, but still it had uh, this power to it, and that 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 was the stuff where I think we really got hooked. We're like, oh, this is this is the kind of techno we want to hear. Like, and then later basic channel chain reaction. Yeah. Oh yeah. That would, they were huge. Yeah. 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 That was the kind of core stuff for us. I'm really curious. I mean, we know real to real and the, and Sonic Mirage, but what, what else were you guys really using in the, in the nineties? Like when, what was the shift from the early tapes to fragmentation and, and uh, Viva Meditiva and, and such? I think learning how to use a sequencer, like we were kind of, messing around with sequencing on the on the first couple of tapes um but most of that i think is you know it's, it's drum machine and just manually playing everything for the most part um but on fragmentation there's there's this a lot of the tracks there's some sort of sequencing going on so usually something really simple that would be like through uh yamaha synth that we used yeah. on everything that was my first synth was this Yamaha SY fifty five? Yeah, yeah. The SY fifty five is on, on all this early stuff. Is on, it's on there, usually overdriven and run through yeah. a bunch of uh, <laughs> mixers and tape decks or whatever. You know, different combinations of stuff. But so yeah, something simple run through that, and then kind of just layers built on top with the reel to reel tape machines, the sampler. Um, what else? Scrap metal. A lot of tapes, like like like, you know, tapes played off a of tape deck through effects and shortwave radio, like a lot, just sort of like kitchen sink approach. Yeah, yeah. The contact wow. mics through delay pedals and yeah, yeah. contact microphones. Um, Were you making little, your own contact loops? 
Yeah, I made her own contact mics. I had just like, yeah, um, there's a couple of surplus stores in Toronto where you could get all sorts of weird stuff. So just buy a ran- bunch of random things and then see what actually made good sounds. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was a, an experiment as well, I guess. And um, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. what, uh, what about, uh, later on, like what kind of gear did you evolve to using in the, in the late nineties, like after fragmentation, it stayed, it stayed pretty stripped down. It was, it was really like that, that Yamaha synth, uh, throughout the nineties. Um, oh yeah, we have an Sonic and an Sonic synth here and there, but it didn't get that much use. The, the Mirage sampler, yeah. um, an Oberheim drum machine. Oh yeah. Um, that's pretty much it. A lot of pedals, like pretty limited budget uh, yeah. through that whole decade. So it was really, really minimal. Yeah. Did you yeah. have a gear spot that you like that you found things? Was it thrift stores or did you how did you get it? So, yeah, some pawn shops like I like, you know, I think Christy and I both bought keyboards. Um, I got the Sonic. He got the Yamaha. Like, yeah. like this is the end, end of high school. I got that before meeting you. Though. Yeah. My the first synth I saved up all my yeah. life for. But uh, oh, yes, yeah, so nice. that one had been kicking around for a while. Yeah, our, te- our teenage synths. Yeah, but then pawn shops. And then um, and then we also had some friends that had like a huge synth collection. So I think they were really inspiring as to like what we, where we wanted to go with that mm-hmm. stuff. I remember. But we couldn't, I, we couldn't afford anything. Couldn't like afford I just remember seeing all this stuff and being like, oh, I wish I could. Yeah. I could wish I could buy some of this, but it was just like, yeah, no budget. So we really just kind of stuck with the the stuff that we had. Um, and it was more about kind of adding these little extra elements like the contact microphones or the stuff on tape, the reel to reel, just running stuff through different pedals and shortwave and just, just experimenting with this kind of like thrift store shit. Were you doing any sort of field recording stuff to add to the layers or was it more like feedback oh, yeah. loops and pedal chains? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of location recordings and um, that's, yeah, all over that early stuff for sure. I mean, we still like doing that, but, um, you know, that was more prominent then. Gray, do you know this Yamaha synth that they speak of? I don't know the SY55, no. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's like a, it's a 90s digital synth. It's not, it's not an amazing piece of gear, but uh, it's just what we had and, and you could make it do cool stuff and you could you could you know with the menu dive you can get in there and and really fuck around with the sounds so like most of what we got was the result of um like effects pedals and like so you know you can have some contact mic and make a tiny little tapping sound and turn it into something awesome um or like you know for a while rich got into making field recordings of fans and heaters um, so, you know, yeah. And then, yeah, just cre- <laughs> creating drones out of just like stuff around the house, yeah. you know? Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, it was, it was pretty, uh, it was a pretty simplistic kind of approach, but trying to get the most out of what we had. I think when people have a limited, uh, amount of equipment, you really try to find a way to maximize it and dive into every possible option for it when you get tired of the sounds it can do. So <laughs> Yeah, I think that shows in some of that early work of like pushing the boundaries of kind of what. Yeah, like like Mike said earlier, you can't tell what's going on when you're listening to those mm-hmm. early Orphix recordings. I don't. I I do a lot of like gear train spotting when I listen to things, and and it's still a mystery to me. So that's. <laughs> I think, that would uh, be why. <laughs> <laughs> it's still my opinion that you don't need you don't need a pile of gear. I mean, and sometimes that can be debilitating to have too much stuff, Yeah. to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, you just, I guess you just need to have an idea that you're, um, and you're inspired and you have a direction that you want to go in and you can kind of use whatever you find really, but it helps to have some fun stuff to play with too. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I sometimes I, I kind of, wish I didn't have so much stuff at this point, you know, like gears accumulated over the years, mm-hmm. more money to play with than, you know, at, at that point in time. And, and, and now it's like, sometimes I really have to just say, okay, I'm just going to use these two things and ignore it. Cause it just, it, the other options, cause it gets overwhelming. Like, Oh, I could throw this in. And, um, whereas uh, back then, yeah, there's just, there was no option to go outside of this handful of tools that you had. That's it. 
You got to do something with this. Yeah, I suffer from <laughs> gear paralysis pretty bad here as well. Yeah. And to record um, the majority of my last record, I went out of town with a specific set of gear. <laughs> like what I can fit yep. in the car and can set up on a dining room table is what I use for most of it. Yep. And it, it made it a lot easier to actually get something finished instead of being like, what if I add all of this? So totally. Yeah, I yeah. know that. I, I also <laughs> think, uh, I think a, a contact microphone is probably to me from what I've been doing throughout the years is probably the number one, most essential and continual piece of gear in my setup in that like, it's just always an excellent way to generate some sort of very tactile sound that you can modify. So it's, it's nice to hear that that was something you guys were using early on as well. Yeah. And when the kids are in there worth like what, two bucks or, yeah. or, you know, you can get so much out of this cheap little piece of equipment. And I always say that it's, you know, it's less the gear. It's more the person behind the gear. I think mm -hmm. if any one of us stood behind that Yamaha synth, we would all individually make something completely different than the other person, you know, because it's just that that it's still the the person behind it. I think uh, mm -hmm. that's 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 the main factor, and then the gear. It's just what you you know. You're just sending yourself through the gear, yeah, so it's right. always yeah. going to be something different f from that from you know each individual well person. in full disclosure i still love my crappy yamaha keyboard that i have right yeah. now in the kitchen it's my favorite one yeah i love it <laughs> yeah yamaha it has it has no knobs left but i still love it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely you know we're coming up on you know almost 30 years of of orphans scary wow <laughs> yeah I, I, terrifying I do remember when the fragmentation came out, we were so excited to have this CD and to have it put out by the, this. Oh yeah. I remember just mm -hmm. being like, yes, that was amazing. Yeah. We couldn't believe it. You know? Yeah. I mean, we were, we were like malignant was just releasing great stuff and we were like super happy to be connected to them. Yeah. And, and, and had, you know, we had fun with everything with that from like making the visuals for the, the cover and the inserts and, um, yeah, you know, doing the promotions and that sort of thing for it too. You know, it was, mm. it was just so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I guess cause it was the first experience with like releasing something that wasn't just, you know, a few tapes dubbed in our basement. So yeah. it was right. a, it was a big deal. It felt real. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Malignant had definitely built up a pretty good following through the audio drudge zine that he was doing and the yeah, sort of exactly. networking. So I think that, that, I mean, fragmentation is the first I had heard of Orphix and I bought it from Malignant back in the nineties. So it's definitely like one of those things that, that it got out there and it got the name out there and it got it to, an audience that I think was receptive for it and really looking for something new at the time. So mm -hmm. I think it, that was a, a really nice pairing. Yeah. We well, were really happy about it. And well, now it's out again. <laughs> on hospital. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. If you're listening to this, the day this episode comes out tomorrow, you can pre-order the fragmentation four LP set on hospital productions. It is guaranteed to be one of your most listened to records once it arrives. You're going to wear the grooves out of all eight sides of that bad boy. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> and I know I'm I'm excited to hear the live stuff. Yeah. Uh, There's things we haven't heard on. Yeah, and the and the split with and now because um I've never I personally never heard that stuff. Gray, have you heard that? I that haven't tape? heard that, uh, nor the Bloodlust tape, actually, so I'm looking forward to the Ooh. this reissue, yeah. Well, I, I was also going to ask them, like, is there anything else that, you know, you're working on now that you think people should know about or yeah. some, or a project that you have going on that you'd just like to talk about? Yeah, we always like to, anything coming up, I mean, obviously shows are on hold for the time being. Um, any any new material coming out soon or working on stuff and anything you'd like to even let if it's not and anything in the world anything you'd like the people to know about <laughs> now is the time to let the people know about it we are slowly working on a new album um it was supposed to come out this year but you, you know it got uh postponed along with everything else um and to be honest i think we needed more time to kind of figure out where we're going. Um, so that's coming together now. Um, 
we're going to be finished that in a couple of months, I think. And, uh, yeah. What else? We've got both working on some solo stuff and oh, very cool. Other, other projects that are all, all the other projects are slowly rolling along in some fashion, but just small things that, yeah. that are going to show up. But, yeah. uh, the, yeah. the, 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 the big thing for us right now is just finishing this record. And the last full length was uh, Pitch Black Mirror on Hands, 2016, just a few yeah, years hands ago. Sonic Groove. Yeah, it's been a while. So yeah, we've done some the 12 inches, but not a full length right since then. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Heck yeah, and we and, and we love that stuff too. Uh, we we were we're all big fans of Pitch Black Mirror. So oh, yeah. you can't can't do wrong just grabbing any Orphix, but. For the purposes of this episode and the newest thing coming out, run out and grab the Fragmentation 4LP set. Well, if your computer's outside, run out. Yeah, don't, don't oh, really run true. out. Stay sitting. If, actually, you probably can't you, run out. No, if yeah, you keep yeah. your computer <laughs> indoors like yeah. we do. Walk slowly and carefully with a mask. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> then maybe just like sit down at your table and yeah. like, and you just, know, go to the website yeah. and order yeah. it. Yeah. That's a better idea. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, Rich and Christina, thank you so much oh, for sitting down so with much. us. Uh, thank this you guys. We're uh, we're we so fans excited. Of noise extra. Yeah. Big oh, fans. Man. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Obviously, the feeling is likewise. So, yes. uh, we will we will talk again for sure. This will this will happen again. All right. That's great. Maybe cool. in person. So, yeah. yeah yes. That would be Whoa. ideal. So hopefully that would be. Someday. Awesome. Yes. yes. Well, that's it. Next time, <laughs> next time you guys are out in LA, or or, or when we set up that uh, Dundas uh, Fest of Dundas Festival, Dundas, Dundas. Fest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Dundas, Dundas Fest. Fest. We'll, we'll do it there. So awesome. Well, right. thanks so much, and we'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over seventeen years by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.